Praise the Lord. Good morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. We get right in the message this morning. Yes, Lord. Praise the Lord. Exodus chapter 33, I'm going to start in verse 7. It says... Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone, I want you to notice that word, anyone. Sometimes we miss that word in this passage. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. So who went to the tent of meeting outside the camp? Anyone who inquired of the Lord went there. And that becomes very important. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tent, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent... The pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance of their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua son of Nun, would not leave the tent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before you right now, Lord. And Lord, we know that this story of Moses in this very pivotal time, Lord, is, is, is a key for us to understand, Lord. It's very important, Lord God, that you put it in there, and you put it in there at the time you did, Lord. And I just pray that you would minister to us. Speak to us, Lord God. Speak to our hearts and draw us close to you, Lord. In your name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. This is a very interesting time um, in the time of the Israelites. This is the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, we find uh, that God has delivered his people as he promised from Egyptian bondage. So the people of Israel, Moses was called um, by God uh, to be the spokesperson for God to deliver them from Egypt where they had been in bondage for over 400 years. And so as they're being delivered from bondage, I want you to remember the experiences these people who were called God's people what they experienced because there's a possibility as God's people we can experience uh, very dramatic things that the rest of the world don't experience and still behave the way they behaved. And the Bible says that they're given as examples to us on how we're to behave and to learn from their examples not to do what they did or to do what they did if it was something that God... um, God was uh, pleased with. We want to do those things. And um, so as we look at the children of Israel, they came out of deliverance in Egypt, 
And I want you to imagine some of the things that they had seen. Number one, it had been prophesied that they would be delivered by the patriarchs. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph went into Egypt, and that family consisted of about 70 people. And God said, I'm going to make a great nation out of this people. And the promise was originally given to a 75-year-old man who had no children. Isn't that amazing? But Abraham believed that God would make a great nation out of him with his own children. And so God began to bless. And God took the children of Israel, which is Jacob, and they went into the land of Egypt. And when they came out, they were numbering in the millions. And so God brought them out, but he didn't just bring them out. He brought them out with the greatest display of miracles the world had ever seen. And a lot of you have read the stories of the plagues that God put upon Egypt. And the plagues were dramatic, they were tremendous, they were uh, supernatural, and they were something the world had never seen. And even though Pharaoh had a hard heart, and God even hardened his heart further, it says that um, he still would not release them to go worship their God at the mountain. And God just so completely... Um, God so completely destroyed uh, the nation of Egypt that they finally relented and said, leave, just get out of here. In fact, not only leave, but God said, you're also going to come out with great plunder. And Egypt said, not only leave, but take all this stuff with you. They gave him gold, they gave him silver, they gave him all these different things. And for some reason, God wanted him to have it. God wanted them to be blessed with all those things for a purpose. And so they left Egypt, and then they go into the wilderness, and they had an appointment with God. And that appointment was to go meet Him in Mount Sinai. And the whole purpose of their deliverance was, God was going to create a nation out of these um, this large multitude of people that He brought into the wilderness. He wanted to create a nation. He said, I want to create a nation of priests. A nation of, that, that loves God, a nation that knows God, a nation that is close to God. So God, as he leads them into the wilderness, is in the middle of them. It says he was in their midst and he led them. He led them by a pillar, um, by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And God led the people of Israel to a mountain to have a meeting with him. And so the children of Israel in Exodus 19, and I'm getting somewhere with this background. We need to know this background to know what I'm going to teach today. And as they come to this mountain, God wants to make sure they understand that I am a powerful God. Now, how many think I would have already thought he was pretty powerful whenever he led us out of Egypt and did all these amazing miracles? Um, but God still said, you're going to meet with me, wait at the base of this mountain, but don't touch the mountain. Don't touch the mountain or you'll die. And God displayed himself as a God that is to be feared. How many know that God did that on purpose? And God states that he did that on purpose. He said, I'm going to do that so they it will help them avoid sinning against God. And it was so fearful. The mountain shook. The mountain was on fire. They could hear the sound of uh, of horns blowing. 
I mean, just imagine this scene that they had at the base of this mountain. But God said, I want you to still approach me. And Moses came down and said, hey, don't be afraid. Even though all these things are here, this is just a test to make sure that you understand God is a God to be feared and he is a great God. But you're going to hear a long blast of a horn. And when you hear that, that's your signal to come up and meet with God. And how many know Moses wouldn't go up and meet with God until God would bid him to come? God would say, don't do it, Moses. Don't enter. Don't rush into it. Don't run into it. Don't just haphazardly run into it. But when I give you the signal, it's time to meet with me. We have an appointment. And so the people were sitting at this base. They had seen all the miracles of God, everything that God had done. They knew about their patriarchs. And from the very beginning, how many know all God was ever wanted to do was know us? From the very beginning with Adam and Eve, he walked in the cool of the day. Uh, he was friends with them. How many know that they were friendly with God? God walked with them every day. God had fellowship with them. And from that moment on, God has tried to restore the meeting place. He wants to meet with you. You say, well, I don't know. I thought he just wanted me to come on Sunday and pay tithes and sing some songs. No, that's not what he wanted. He wants to meet with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to have a relationship with him. And from the very beginning, that's what we see. In fact, we see after man sinned in the garden, uh, God himself came down and made a sacrifice, covered him, and said, hey, I'm going to restore this relationship. And God began to reveal how he was going to restore the relationship. And it says during the time um, before the flood, it says men began to cry out to the Lord at this time. And people began to seek God and began to cry out to God. Not a lot of people, but they were reaching out. So God decides he's going to bring this whole nation out to know him and to be with them and live in the midst of them. And he wants them to come visit with him and know him like Moses did. And so they stand at the mountain and they say, God, we don't want to. The people that had seen all these miraculous things They said, let Moses go for us and come back and tell us. We don't want to go see you. Church, can you imagine that? God brought them out. God delivered them. God did all these miraculous things because he wanted to know them. He wanted them to know how loving he was, how graceful he was, uh, everything about him. He wanted them to know his kindness. But this group of people said, we won't go visit with him. God said, when the blast sounds, that's your chance to come up and see me. And they said, we don't want to. And so Moses, while he was on the mountain, God was uh, beginning to reveal to Moses, he gave him the Ten Commandments. How many of you remember this story on Mount Sinai where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses? In fact, before, uh, from about Exodus 19, or about Exodus 20, all the way to 32, they're talking about this big plan that God has to reveal himself to people. Uh, God says that uh, I am going to live in the middle of you. Um, Here's all the things that I'm asking you to do to uh, keep my presence 
in the middle of this people because there's going to be this building called the tabernacle and it's going to be in the middle of your nation and there's going to be all these things that we're going to do that are symbolic so the entire community can meet with me. My glory will live in the middle of you. And so Moses goes up to meet with God. The people do not want to meet with God. And when he comes back down, uh, in fact, when God finishes all the final plans he's given Moses for this place where he can meet with them, all of a sudden Moses hears a sound from the camp. And he goes about a little bit down the mountain and Joshua's there and Joshua says, yeah, I hear a sound too. Sounds like there's war in the camp or something. It's really loud, you know. And then Moses says, no, I've been talking with God. And God says, it's not war in the camp. Uh, They are rebelling against God. And so Moses came down, and you'll remember the story, all of that blessing that God gave them with the gold and the silver. Remember that when they came out of Egypt and God said, they're going to give you all kinds of blessing and and, and you're going to be blessed as you leave Egypt. How I many you know when they left Egypt, God had a plan for all that gold and all that silver and everything that he blessed them with. He had a plan for their life. Just like He has a plan for our life to glorify Him. But they took all of it. They put it all together and they made a golden calf. And God had already given them ten commandments, the first of which is you will have no other gods before me. And the second one is you will not create any gods out of gold and silver and put them with me. So the first two commandments that God had already given them, they broke while Moses was up on the mountain getting the rest of the plans. And so now Moses comes down, God has a covenant and a people, and how many know that Moses breaks the covenant? God, He goes back on the mountain and God says, God is using language that they're not even my people. How many know that? How many have read that in the Bible? He's saying they're not, and I'm paraphrasing here because it's a lot easier than me reading 15 chapters. How many know that? You should be reading this on your own anyway, right? But God's using language with Moses that this isn't even my people. The covenant was broken. Everything that God had planned to put his presence on earth was shattered. And it says at the end of 32, I'm sorry, the beginning of 33, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people that I brought up out of Egypt, to go to the land I promised you on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. Because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. God is keeping His promise that I'll let you have the land. God is keeping the promise that uh, I'm going to give you a land that flows with milk and honey because I promised it to your descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's saying, but I'm not going with you. Go on your own. I'll send an angel to make sure it clears out the hostile forces that are waiting there, you'll get your land that flows with milk and honey. But basically what he's saying is, you'll just be like every other nation. And it says the people mourned 
because of the terrible thing that God said that he would not go with them. And church, can I tell you something? We live in a wicked society. We live in a culture with wicked churches. And how many know a lot of the places God is not present there? He's withdrawn himself. And this is the picture we have here. God was in the midst of this people, and now he's withdrawn himself. He says, I don't have any part of that. You guys can go in and have it. I'll I'll keep my promises, but I'm not going to have my presence there at all. You're on your own. And the people mourned, and it upset the people, and it says that they repented, and they quit wearing gold and silver, and they had a certain form of repentance, but no action. They were upset that God wasn't going to be with them, but there was just no action to deal with what God had said. But there was one person that acted. And this is the example God is giving to us of what He's calling us to do in the darkest hour I can remember in my lifetime. And if you can't hear the call that God is speaking through me today, you might have to check your spiritual pulse. You might not be alive. I'm as stern and as serious as I can be. One person in that dark time did something about it. The rest did nothing but quit wearing gold and silver and felt bad. Now one person was Moses. And this is what God loved about Moses was God loved Moses because Moses loved God, period. He loved his presence. Moses couldn't live without his presence. In fact, God came to Moses and said, Hey, Moses, let's just forget about all of these people. And let's just me and you go and we'll start a new nation. That sounds like a pretty good deal, huh? God loves me so much that he's ready to just wipe everything out and make a new nation of me because he knows I love him and I'm about the only one. That's what essentially they were saying there. But Moses had such a love for the people that Moses said, God, you can't do that. I love these people too much. I want them to know you like I know you. And so Moses decided that if God wasn't going to be in the camp and he wasn't going to build the tabernacle that he told him he wanted to build that would put his presence in the middle of them, he said, I'll just take a little tent and I'll put it outside the city. And church, can I tell you something? God is calling us to know him in a culture where people have no idea who God is, what he's like, what he's about, who don't even love him. They pray to him because they need something. And Moses wasn't like that. So in this dark time, all the people watched as Moses walked way outside the camp. He set up a tent that he called the tent of meeting. Guess who his meeting was with? Israeli executives and the millions of representatives that would get together and have a board meeting? Or tribal leaders from the camp that they were setting up in the wilderness because God was giving them, giving them this awesome. 
So some of them probably said, "Oh, great, God, God is going to give us the land. You know, we're going to be rich. You know, we have all this great land and this wonderful country, and who cares whether God's a part of it or not?" Moses was just distraught. He actually said, "God, blot me out." I don't want to live if your presence isn't with us. And so that desire in Moses' heart, blot me out or go with me, Lord. I can't live without your presence. And Moses set that tent up. And how many know everybody who sought the Lord went with Moses? I don't know how many it was. I know that Moses may have been one of the few that sought God, But I know there was at least one in there that followed his lead. And his name was Joshua. And it says, Joshua, whatever was happening in there. In fact, I see commentators that say he was just there to guard the tent so nobody else would come in it. Now, where did you find that at? I've read all through the Bible for references, and they won't give a reference. They go, nobody else could actually go in there. Joshua was there to guard it so nobody touched it. No, it says, everyone who sought the Lord went to the tent of meeting. And it says Joshua didn't want to leave. It doesn't say he was guarding it. It says he didn't want to leave it. And so following the example, the example of Moses, Joshua found the presence of the Lord. Joshua began to seek the Lord. And you say, well, man, why is this whole elaborate tabernacle God wanting to build when all you really needed was the little tent? Because the Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. And there's this elaborate system of sacrifice because we spend so much of our spiritual time and energy dealing with sin. And Moses went straight to God. He knew who God was. He knew what God's nature was. He loved God with all of his heart. Sin wasn't an issue with Moses because he was in love with God. Everybody else was looking out their tent door saying, what's Moses doing? I'll stay right here and I'll worship God in my house. Moses could have stayed in his own tent in the community, sought the Lord, had the glory of God fill his house. But Moses says, it's not enough. God, you can't just go with me. You got to go with us. If God is not with us, then I want to die. If I can't have God's presence, I want to die. And Moses didn't keep it to himself, church. Can I tell you something? I've sat for hours and hours and hours in God's presence, and there's something inside of me that says, I don't want to leave. Lord, I just want to sit in your presence. Lord, I love this, and I I cry, and I, I love his presence. I love being with the Lord. I love that time with the Lord. And then something inside of me says, Chad, You can't keep this to yourself. You can't keep this to yourself. My desire is that other people know me too. And and how many know that God, in fact, this is not the only place, God built the tabernacle as a picture of Christ to draw all men to Christ. How many know that? That tabernacle was designed to show every man how to be drawn to Christ. But you know where God really wants you? In His presence. God really wants you to know who He is. In fact, we see another time where this special little tent happened. 
And it's David. How many know that David wasn't able to go in the tabernacle or the temple or tabernacle of Moses and do certain things? He was not able to. But there was a point where the tabernacle was destroyed and an enemy army had the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God met them in the tabernacle. And David, God had led him to take that tabernacle and put it in a little tent. They started to carry it, and it was a fearful thing to carry this Ark of the Covenant. They started to carry it out of the Philistine camp, and and it almost fell over, and somebody reached to grab it, and they died instantly because they didn't handle it the right way. And then Moses, or David, got scared. David said, "Man, I don't know if uh, I don't know if I should be touching the Ark of the Covenant or doing something with it." And so he put it in this Gentile man's house, and. Um, this wasn't a Jewish man, it was a Gentile man, put it in his house. And you know what David noticed? That man was so overwhelmingly blessed by having that in his house, that David said, God's favor is on this, he wants me to do this. And by the blessing of this Gentile man, David began to take this ark, and, 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 and Kevin, you were talking about David being so excited about the ark of the covenant coming to this little tent. How many know David hired musicians for 40 years? 24-7, all they did was play worship music. And when David would lay in that tent without all these... How many know the tabernacle of Moses had rules, regulations, all the... Tent of David didn't have that. Tabernacle of David didn't have... Tabernacle, a tent of meeting Moses had didn't have all these things. It was just, I love the Lord with all of my heart, and I want to be with you and only with you, Lord. And some of you in this room haven't experienced that. And David would lay in that tent of David, and he would just worship God as long as he wanted to worship. The whole world would just kind of fall away. In fact, David was ran from his palace and almost killed by one of his sons. And you know what was upsetting to David? It wasn't his palace. It wasn't the riches of his kingdom. He said, man, I wish I could be like that little bird that has a nest in the house of the Lord. And I could live in that little nest and be in the house of the Lord always. And then he said, I wish I could be like the doorkeeper that stands in the front of the house of the Lord. I'd rather be in the house of the Lord as a doorkeeper than be away from the house of God. And in church, I'm telling you something. You're missing. You're missing the presence of the Lord. And And God is calling out to the church. We have a church full of people. It says that they would just stand at the door of their house and watch Moses worship in the tent of meeting. They'd watch the cloud come down. And church, can I tell you something? Their attitude hadn't changed at all from the time they were at the base of the mountain. They wanted to keep their distance from God. They said, Moses, you go up and enjoy the presence of the Lord. We're going to stay here. We want to keep our distance. You go for us. Come tell us what God had to say. You know, a lot of churches, they're content to say, Pastor, spend time in God's presence and come back and tell us what He's got to say. Pastor, man, I want a pastor that hears from the Lord. I want him to go and tell me what the Lord has to say. Church, that's wrong. It's, it's good if your pastor can tell you what the Lord has to say, but it's even better if you'll get in God's presence and hear from the Lord yourself. 
God wants to know you. God wants to uh, talk to you like he did Moses face to face. Every day, God wants to tell you he loves you. Every day, God wants to tell you about his mercy, his grace, his love. God wants to be your best friend. And you say, well, I don't know. I want to keep my distance. I want to be able to stay back and watch you go to the house of the Lord and watch you say what the Lord has told you. And and I want you to pray for the people. And I want you to intercede for the people. And church, that whole generation that thought that way, they died in the wilderness. They never received God's promises. They never changed. They never went after God. And and, um, church, it's interesting when in the darkest time... God is wanting to build a house that has His glory in the middle, right in the middle of life. He wants His glory right there in the midst of the people. And now He's withdrawn it. And now Moses is saying, God, I can't live without Your presence. I can't live without revival. I can't live without God being, without the people in my family knowing God the way I know God. And God relented. Church, can I tell you something? God heard Moses' cry, and he came back, and starting in in chapter 34, God began to tell Moses, okay, I've heard what you have to say, Moses. Now, I'm going to do things, wondrous things with his people. I'm going to be in the midst of them. We're going to build this house. I mean, you know that God relented, and God began to build the tabernacle because of the intercession of Moses. And as we look, God has this conversation. I don't know how many days it was or how long it was, but I want to, I want you to listen to the conversation that God had with Moses. And this is from the NLT, which I normally don't read from. It's a paraphrase, which it doesn't bother me, but I usually read from different versions, but this really brings it out. This is a conversation that God and Moses had privately in the tent of meeting. It says, then Moses said, Oh, hold on, I'm sorry, verse 12. 33, verse 12, it says, One day Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me to take these people to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If this is true and you look favorably on me, let me know your way so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember, Lord, that this nation is your very own people. Now listen to what the Lord says. Do you notice how Moses talks about the favor and God knows his name and everything that God has told him personally? And then he says, and don't forget, they're your people too. And the Lord replies, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest and everything will be fine for you. I mean, if that were you, you would be like, stinks to be them but I'm going to be all right. God loves me. God knows my name. You know, I'm going to find rest. Everything's going to go well with me. I'm done, man. It was great prayer time. It was an awesome prayer time. God loves me. God loves me so much, but it really stinks to be you guys. How many see what's happening here? God loves Moses because Moses loves God. Moses is in God's presence. He's found favor with God, and he says, everything will be fine for you, Moses. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, 
He just said, I'm going with you, Moses. Moses says, no, you have to go with us. If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? You hear how Moses is not satisfied that he has a relationship with the Lord? He wants revival. He wants everybody to know God like he knows God. He wants everybody to love God like he loves God. And he's wrestling with God, not for God to love him, not for God to be with him, because God already said, I'll be with you, Moses. Moses' tent would have been just fine with God taking care of him, but he's saying, how can we go, God? How can these people go? How can this church go? How can this nation go? How many know that he's interceding for revival? This isn't a selfish man. This is a man that's praying for the people and said, God, these people need to know you like I know you. Church, if you don't know God today and you've never been in his presence, how many know the average Christian prays five minutes per day? Five minutes. You say, well, I pray three times for my meals. That's got to be more than five minutes. Five minutes per day. Now, how in the world can a person know anything about God five minutes a day? If you talk to somebody for five minutes a day, how in the world would you even know them? And, And what is the quality of the five minutes? Is it, Lord, I'm so thankful for food, so thankful that you stuff my face. So thankful that the meals are wonderful, the steaks are delicious, the green beans are wonderful. They're from my wonderful garden. I'm not knocking, thanking God for your food. I'm just saying, at what point do we know Him? What point do we love Him? What point do we adore him? What point do we, we say, God, I just love to be with you. I love to hear your voice. It says in here that God talked to Moses as a friend talks to a friend face to face. Do you notice it didn't say Moses talked to God like a friend talks to a friend. God talked to Moses. That's different. I can talk to God as a friend talks to a friend. I could talk to a friend and he may think I'm his friend. I may think he's my friend, but he might not actually even be my friend. But God says he talked to Moses as if Moses was his friend face to face. And church, I'm telling you, there is a place, there is a tent of meeting where God is calling this church in. You say, well, I can do it in my own tent. I can do it live stream. I could do it on Zoom. Well, Moses could have too. Moses could have stayed in his tent, never met with another person, and enjoyed the favor of God. Oh, how wonderful it is that I know God. God knows me. He's my friend. But what about them? What about this millions of people that are in the wilderness that God let out that need to know God? How are they going to know Him? And church, I'm telling you right now, we God has called. When I first came in this building, the prayer room's back there if nobody has seen it yet. It's back there. And I noticed something about that prayer room. Some people in here are scared of it. 
They'll peek their head in the door. And, and I can see it. There's an uncomfortable, man, I don't know if I'm able to go in there. I don't know if I'm worthy to go in there. I don't know if, you know, I should be in there. And I don't know why it is. I just noticed it. It surprised me. Because I've been dreaming about it for a long time. A place like the tent of meeting that the Moses had. Where you walk in and like the tent of David. How many, know, how many know when you lay in that room, that room just has worship all around you. The greatest worship ministers in the world are constantly singing in there. Just like the tent of David. I, in fact, I lay down. Sometimes I'll hear a song like, a Create in me a clean heart that David wrote. And it feels like I'm in the tent of David. I hear that song that David wrote. I hear the choir singing it. I don't have the budget to hire choirs 24-7 like David did, but you know, that room has choirs singing to me about the love of God, the wonder of God, the amazement of God. And I lay in there in church, can I tell you something? There's a sweet spot when you're in the presence of God. You say, well man, you can't biblically prove that. I don't have to. I've experienced it. When I, uh, and I'm going to use the example, and people get tired of hearing this, I'm sure, but when I was working uh, construction, I would work a jackhammer. And, and how many have worked a jackhammer? And man, you work that jackhammer for a long time, a couple hours, maybe eight hours. Then you go home, and guess what you're doing all the way home? Working the jackhammer. Your hands are still shaking. You still feel the vibration of the jackhammer. And just that doesn't go away for a while. You go home and you eat supper. And what are you still feeling? You felt it, haven't you? You still feel that shaking of that jackhammer. Then after a while, it goes away. Stress, anxiety, the world, the enemy attacks. How many know that's like that jackhammer? You're so full of anxiety. How many have ever turned on worship music in your car and for just a moment, just a slight little moment, you feel the presence of God and you feel yourself a little bit of peace you feel a little bit of anxiety going away. Or maybe you're in worship at church. And for just that short little moment, I feel like I'm raptured into God's presence. I feel like my anxieties went away. I feel like I'm strong again. I feel like I can take on the world. How many have ever experienced that? Church, I'm telling you about that experience for hours every day. I'm telling you that there is a tent of meeting, and it takes me... I'm, I'm speaking personally. It may be different with everybody. I don't know. There's no place in the Bible that talks about it. I just know from experience. After about an hour, I hit a sweet spot. I forget that I'm even in my own body. I can't even explain that. I feel rest that is beyond any rest I get from sleep. In fact, I can lay in the presence of God during that sweet period of fellowship where I feel like I've had eight hours of sleep. And I may have been in God's presence for an hour. I've been in there when it's been two, three hours, and it felt like 15 minutes. And I've been there where God just... And, and I'll be honest with you, the reason I'm saying this is we have a wonderful, incredible worship team here. And we feel short little periods of it in our... How long is worship? 30, 45 minutes. We get little bits of it. We get tastes. We like... We're like um, going to Sam's and you got all these little 
wonderful tables at the end of every aisle. And I don't know about you, but I have to go to every aisle and I'm obligated to see what everything tastes like, you know. And sometimes I have to get a second taste, to be honest, you know. But how many know God is just uh, putting that out there and saying, hey, taste that the Lord is good. There's something here about knowing God by spending time in His presence. And church, I think that's what we're missing. I think it's what God's calling us to. God's calling us His presence. In fact, I'll just share testimony. Some of the things this week. There, there were days this week, uh, I've opened it up from 4 to 6 p.m. every day, so at least two hours in God's presence. There's a lot of days this week that I had to come two hours early to be in His presence for two hours because I wanted to be there two hours before everybody got here because God was calling me there. God was saying, man, just my desire to be there, I was hungry for it, hungry to be in His presence, hungry to worship with Him. And, and I started to notice as I got in there, one day one person came and started to pray with me. And how many know my... You don't know this. I just like to say that phrase. But my whole life... I've been, um, I've fought battles alone. Like, it's one thing that's made me a strong Christian. Like I've told you before, if I'm not hearing from the Lord, I'll stay up all night until I do. I'll fight through it. And there are certain things in life that I'll fight through for 24 hours, 48 hours. Some of you are the same way. Anger issues or relationship issues or whatever it is you're going through. And this week I would have one person come in the prayer room and pray with me, and within 20 minutes, the battle actually was a demonic battle. It actually was satanic in origin, and the enemy attacking me. And I didn't realize it until a second person came and prayed with me, and I told him how my day was, and it instantly went away. Eddie was praying with me Tuesday. He told me the same thing. The next day, he went through it, and he called me, and, and we prayed about it. And how many know that a lot of the attacks we have is the enemy having his way because we're alone. You can fight through it, but there's a healthier and there's a better way, and that's praying one with another. And uh, God just began to show me this week that um, even my rest, okay, and I'm just giving you a testimony. This isn't five points of a sermon. But even my rest in prayer, my prayer time, I commute 45 minutes to an hour everywhere that I go. How many commute a lot? No, I guess I'm the only one. But I commute 45 minutes to an hour everywhere I go. So my prayer time uh, is very heavy during my driving period. Um, a lot of times I'm sitting in my metal building at home and, and I have a lot of deep prayer time there when I'm alone there. But one thing I noticed from being in this prayer room for two, three, four, five hours is that I actually have a full rest. You may have ever heard of sleep apnea. Man, more people relate to sleep apnea than driving commutes. That's interesting. Sleep apnea means you're resting, but you're not really resting. Like you're not breathing properly and you're not actually getting sleep because you're not breathing properly. There are times that we think, in fact, God said that Moses would be all right. He would give him rest. God wants to give us rest in prayer. But I started finding out that I wasn't fully resting because I still had anxiety. I still had stress. I never really prayed through my issues. So even though I was praying for 45 minutes on a drive, guess what my heart was doing? I was still thinking about everything that went throughout my day. 
Still thinking about all the things that troubled me. Still thinking about everything that was on my mind. How many know that I fully never rested? In there, I've been fully resting. Like I almost get so deep in the presence of the Lord that I am fully rested. And I walk out of that place refreshed in my spirit. And so church, I'm just telling you, this whole message, I, like I said, it's not the most professionally put together message, but I'm just telling you, God is calling us to be like Moses. God wants us to know His presence. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to find a place. And you say, do I have to have that room? No, this is a training ground. I mean, no, once you've experienced the presence of the Lord, and you know what it's like, to be fully rested and fully love on the Lord with all of your heart. How many know you can do that other places? But first you have to learn how to do it. And church, God wants to get you in there. He wants to fill you full of His Holy Spirit. Every day I'm opening up from four to six and you say, man, that's a long time. Church, that's not enough. I believe God's going to call people who are on different shifts to come in and say, hey, I'm going to open up in the morning and we're going to seek the Lord. Open up in the afternoon, we're going to seek the Lord. I'm going to open it up in the evening, we're going to seek the Lord. I believe that God wants us to have a place where we can rest in His presence and receive what God wants us to receive from Him. In fact, Moses was praying and God said, Hey, look, uh, He said, Can I see your glory, God? God said, You can't see my face, but I'm going to allow you to see me come in and walk out. And God allowed him to see His glory. And so, what does that mean? I'm going to allow you to see this. What it means is, Moses, the only way you're ever going to experience me is to be able to sense my spirit when he comes and when he goes. In fact, he said, Moses, you're not going to understand what I'm doing. Most of the things I do in my life spiritually, I don't even understand. I just sense the Holy Spirit. I see him coming, and then I see when he's left, and then I'm amazed because God allowed me to experience His presence. And so all through my life, even when I sit in that room, uh, that room to me is a miracle. Um, And you say, well, it's not that miraculous. Then you didn't see what I seen. Because when I walked in, that room didn't look like it looks now. But God still showed it to me. God still said, I want you to see what I'm doing in my spirit. I want you to see what I'm going to do in this church. And I said, well, well, God, I said, I, I see it, and I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to be faithful to do it, and then God does it. And then I look at that room, and I say, how did this happen? Church, I don't know how it happened. I really don't. And you, you say, well, it doesn't seem that miraculous. You weren't a part of the planning. You weren't a part of my prayer time. You weren't a part of God telling me I'm going to do this, this, and this, and then turn around, and all of a sudden it's there. And I sit in that room and I just, I just cry and I say, God, how did you do this? How did you do it? Because I've seen him come and I've seen him go. And everything I see in the Spirit is that way. I'm going to let you see my Spirit move. He said, uh, the Bible says in the New Testament, it says, the Holy Spirit in the born-again believer's life, those who are born of the Spirit, it says it's going to be like the wind. The wind's going to come in. It's going to do damage to your neighborhood. You're going to see all the destruction from the wind. You're going to see it come. And you're going to see it go, but you never actually seen it. And that's how it's going to be with the Spirit. God's going to get you so close to His Spirit, you're going to hear His voice. You're going to see Him move. He's going to do great and He's going to do mighty things. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet.
Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One of the things that God told me quite a while back was, Chad, when you open up a prayer room, he said, um, I want to prepare you for something. I want to brace you for something that's going to happen that you're going to see. He said, you're going to open that prayer room up, and they're not going to be interested. <laughs> he said, you're going to be alone. And I'm glad he told me that, because I wouldn't have thought that. Because everything in my heart says I want to be in your presence. Everything in my heart says I want to leave the world. I want to go outside of the camp, and I just want to experience you, Lord. I love your presence. I love to be with you. And he said, don't worry about that. He said, don't worry about when people aren't interested, when they're... Oh, man, what time is lunch? And, you know, he said, don't worry about that. He said, because I have to call them. I have to call them. They have to hear the call to want to be in my presence, to want to love me, to want to wait in my presence, to want to know me. And he said, pray. Pray that the Spirit will draw them. The Spirit will woo them. The Spirit will make them put everything else aside, even religious things aside and just say, man, I want to know God. So today, that's what I'm doing. I'm praying that the Spirit of God would begin to call people to that prayer room, call that, call people to the presence of the Lord. And you say, well, Chad, man, that's kind of four to six. That's when I watch Fox News and, and I figure out what all's going on so I can change the world. That's when I watch CNN and they give me the real goods. And I'm going to really change the world because I'm going to be so knowledgeable. God's saying, just, just give all that up. Just give up the anxiety of watching the politics. Give up the anxiety of trying to change the world through politics. And begin to say, man, what our world needs is God to move, God to be in the middle of us. God, uh, we're praying that people would begin to hear the voice of God again. Church, I'm telling you, God has withdrawn God is withdrawn just like in the day of Moses and God wants to be drawn back into our situation. The only way we're going to do that is to reach God. Those who sought the Lord went out to the tent of meeting. Everybody else just stood at their door and watched. God's saying, do something. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. Stir hearts, Lord. Oh, begin to stir hearts, Lord God. Do a mighty work, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. If you need prayer, prayer.
God said, what I'm going to do is give the church an engine. I'm going to give them something that's not their own power, but it's my power. It's going to be fueled by the Holy Spirit. And uh, God said that as long as we don't have that connection with the presence of the Lord and Him in the midst of us, we're doing all this stuff in our own strength. God, God just wants us to know Him. You say, what happens in the prayer room? Literally, I just sit there and love the Lord for hours. You say, well, what can that do for you? What it does is, I mean, know some of you need to hear, I love you. You're my child. I care about you. I love you. Rest. How many think you need to hear that? You need to learn to just, like Peter said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and cast all your anxieties on Him. The jackhammer effect I'm talking about is when you're in here worshiping on Sunday morning and that's all the worship we get. 20 minutes of that is you thinking about what happened in your day. Just be honest with yourself. 20 or 30 minutes, you're, you've got my, things popping in your mind. Anxiety's popping in your mind. Care's popping in your mind. And God really can't speak to you. And what I'm saying is, if you spend time in God's presence, good quality time just to love Him, that stuff goes away. It takes me an hour, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm not a spiritual son. But about an hour, all that stuff just goes away and it's just purely rest in God's presence and He's speaking to me. He's just telling me how much He loves Him. You say, is He giving you theological stuff because that's only in the Bible? No, He's just telling me He loves me. Is it okay if God tells me He loves me? Is it okay He tells me He cares about me? Is it okay as He speaks into my life as a friend? Talks to a friend? That's what God wants to do, church. Once you know Him, the enemy can't really fool you. personally. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, draw men to you, Lord God. Father, you said in these last days they will worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord God, that we will know your word, we will love your word. Father, we will be guided by your word. And Father, that we would also worship you in spirit, Lord God. We would experience your presence. Lord, that we would experience your love, Lord, singing over us, Lord. Knowing us, Lord God. Loving us, Lord. Lord, I pray today that you would bless us we can worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless your people as they go, Lord. In your name I pray.